0: One, John chapter number 1. I'm going to read a couple verses, have a word of prayer, um, and uh, good to see you guys. Good morning. And uh, man, i just real, real thankful we're getting down t- uh, toward the end of the chapter, which means there's hope. We may finish a chapter of the Gospel of John before the rapture of the church. Uh, so uh, uh, praise God for that. John chapter 1, look if you would at verse number uh, 45. John chapter 1 verse 45. We've read this verse, uh, but just going to start there as our springboard uh, one more time. And it says this: Philip findeth Nathaniel and saith to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So that once again gives credence to the fact that there is prophecy, there is foretelling of the life of Christ before he was here. Um, and that's important to, to, to uh, take note of. If you can see the board, uh, someone recently mentioned, man, I can't see it all the way from the back, uh, and I'm sorry, guys. We, I don't know without cutting into the altar that we can get this board up here, uh, but uh, if you can see it toward the bottom of the board, uh, there's a reference, and it's Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, and, and it says this. You don't have to go there. It says that the, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so what, what makes one of the things that makes Jesus Christ stand out is is the prophecy that is foretold about his life, about his ministry, about his death, about his betrayal, about his resurrection, all of that and so Philip is, is grabbing Nathaniel going, "Hey, we found him we 've got the one that we 've been reading about that we 've been hearing about. This is him. He is here uh, don't you I wish Christians were that excited about telling people about Jesus man." I've got him, I've got him, I've got him. He's right here, come with me, come, come meet him if you would. I mean, I think it's a great way to handle that. Uh, I knew a guy one time, uh, grabbed a hat and he threw it, this is in New York City, an uh, old street preacher, and he grabbed a hat and threw it on the ground and he goes, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. He's running around pointing at his hat. And everybody stopped. I mean, this is New York City. Everybody's like, Wait, what's alive? What's alive? And he pulls his head up, and there's a Bible there. It's the book. It's the Word of God. <laughs> it's alive, you know. And, and he started preaching at him. Now, I, I think that's great. You may think that's a weirdo. I, I think the Lord likes that kind of stuff. Some people that kind of have some, some uh, they, they, they understand the importance of, of pointing others to Jesus Christ. Uh, listen, I can tell you this. If you got an autograph from your favorite football player, you know what you'd be doing, or, or listen, or soccer, football, that kind of football, all right? Whatever kind of football you're into, you would show everybody, I've got this signed autograph uh, from this player. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this amazing? You've got God's autograph all over this book right here, and you got it in your heart. And, and listen, when you, you shouldn't be shy. All I'm saying is this. You should not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. He says... Now listen, I'm going to be real clear with you. I, I think sometimes people forget, uh, I, I'm not just sitting in an office all day, you know, reading my Bible and praying. I'm dealing with people out in the world. I, I deal with the, the, the folks in business, and I'll tell you right now. You will stand out if you don't be a little wimp, gentlemen, and, and, and stand up for Jesus Christ and open your mouth. The people will actually respect you more than they'll disrespect Trust me about this. They may make fun of you at first, but after a while, they'll realize this guy's serious about this. Uh, and maybe there's something to what they're talking about. Uh, and I think Nathaniel saw that, that Philip had some credit with him. He had street cred. You say, what does that mean? Well, Philip was a disciple of John the Baptist, which means this. Philip knew how to follow. Philip, listen to me very carefully, had some consistency in his life. Amen. So if it, it, Now, I understand we're talking to Old Testament. These guys are Old Testament, so they were not Sunday church-going Christians. They were Sabbath-observing Jews. But when the doors were open, let's just say it that way, they knew where to be, and the community knew where they would find them. And and so when Nathaniel hears this testimony from Philip, uh, you, know what he, you know what Nathaniel does not think to himself, dude, you've just been like, you've been bouncing around from one thing after another on YouTube. I'm not listening to anything you're saying. You know what he thought? He said, man, whatever you're saying, it must be, there must be something to it. Because I've watched your life and I've watched the consistency and I've watched you follow John the Baptist and I've seen you go to temple. And I've watched, you know, he says, man, I'm going to listen to what this guy has to say. So Nathaniel follows and he goes and sees Jesus Christ. Look at verse 46. Uh, but he, but he, before he goes, he kind of throws out a rhetorical, sarcastic statement. And he says this, uh, verse 46, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? <coughs> and, and you know the answer? Philip does not go on a five-hour dissertation on the seven sevens and the seven mysteries and the seven baptisms. He just says, come and see. Uh, Look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, which implies that Jesus was waiting for him. What are you waiting to show up in your life? What what are you you expecting? I, I like the fact that Jesus is always waiting on a sinner to come his way. The, the Bible says here, I'm, I'm trying not to preach, I'm just trying, let's, let's get back to teaching, all right? Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and say to him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. So they must have been within, let's just say, a hundred yards, maybe a football field uh, a distance or so. Uh, uh, somewhere within that range where Jesus, within his eyesight, I could see this man but there are crowds of people. So you know what Nathaniel's thinking, meant. well, there's crowds of people everywhere. What do you, how did you single me out? Why were you looking at me? And what a great reminder that the Lord knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything going on in your life. He's watching. He's watching. Sometimes you might feel like God's not paying attention, and sometimes you may want God not to pay attention, uh, but he's, he's, he's watching. He's paying attention. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Brother Joe, if you'd ask the blessing. just please be with people here or Amen. I don't know if you caught it, but he said, "Lord, help him to help him, help him to so we can get something taught to us." And in the next hour, he'll preach to us. I got what you're. I picked up what you were dropping. He's like, "Don't preach right now. Preach later." All right, uh, but I'm just kidding. Uh, but look, look, if you would again at verse number 45, he talks about the law and the prophets. And I, I just want to bring your attention back to the fact that um, um, Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. And I do want to run through uh, a couple of scripture references. If you would go to uh, Matthew chapter number two, Matthew chapter number two, Matthew chapter two, we're just going to run through a couple of these. Not all of the ones are on the on the this digital board. Now, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. Absolutely, uh, they're all the, you got the Old Testament and the New Testament cross reference on all of these right there. Uh, but look at Matthew chapter number two, and i want to show you something really interesting about your Bible. Um, one of the things that gets brought up when it comes to the prophecy of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53, you read about the suffering servant. He was bruised for our iniquities. A chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, by the way, the charismatics will take that and say, uh, all right, now that you're saved, that you can just claim that and, and you won't be sick anymore in your body. Can I just say this right now? That's foolishness. Uh, you can be saved and be sick and have cancer and have all kinds of issues with your health. And it's not a lack of faith. Listen, one of the most spiritual Christians that ever lived went to God three times. Paul the Apostle. Look, I'm sorry. I know you may know someone that's really spiritual. Feel some, you know, if, it's, if it's down south, you know, my grandpa, my grandmammy, they were so close to God, you know, and that kind of thing. I don't know if anyone trumps the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's up there. He writes half of your New Testament. And you know what he says? I besought the Lord thrice that this thorn in the flesh would depart from me. And you know what God's answer was? It was not, Paul, you just got to have more faith. It wasn't, Paul, you got to name it and claim it. That wasn't it either. You know what it was? My grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, look, sometimes people are sick not because of sin or because they don't have enough faith, but because God is going to manifest his glory through them going through that trial. Does this make sense? All right, so, so when, when it says in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes we are healed, that is right now until the coming of the kingdom itself, right now that is spiritual in nature. All of your spiritual sicknesses can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, and so that much is clear. But what some people will do with Isaiah 53 is they'll say that suffering servant is Israel. That that's Israel suffering for all the transgressions of mankind. That's the nation. That's not the Messiah. Now there's a lot of problems with that in context of Isaiah 53. However, look at uh, Matthew chapter two. I want to show you something here because it's important you get a hold of this. Isaiah, uh, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter two verse fifteen talking about Jesus and um, after the Christmas story, if you will, and the, the wise men bringing their treasures and all that good stuff. And I, I look forward to this time of year getting closer to December where we get to preach about that again, and I, I get excited about that. Um, but, but look down, if you would, at verse 15. There was and was there, talking about Jesus and Joseph and Mary. They were in Egypt until the death of Herod. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying... Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, you know, obviously, the author of Matthew is applying this to the life of Jesus Christ, and rightfully so. Uh, The Lord foretold in the Old Testament that his son, uh, we know him as Jesus, would be uh, born and would eventually go into Egypt, and he would not stay there. Now, let me just remind you, Egypt is a great picture of the world. And Jesus was there for a period of time, just like he was here in the world for a period of time, and then he left. You know what he did? He went out of Egypt. Anytime you're going out of Egypt into God's country, listen to me, you're going north. You know what the Bible says? Promotion cometh not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. There's one direction left out. That's the north. You say, what is that? That's God's direction. All right. Uh, which is why you can't retire down south, Cindy. You can't live in Florida. You got to go north, all right? Just keep promotion coming from the north. There you go. Uh, But what what I'm getting at is this. It's a great picture of Jesus Christ, God's son, coming to this world but not staying here, eventually leaving. Do you guys remember uh, Joseph in the Old Testament? Do you know what happens with Joseph when Moses leaves Egypt? His body, now listen, that's 400 years after Joseph. Alright, Joseph has been dead for a long time, but you know what they do? They take his bones out of Egypt. All right, you say, what is that? All right, it was a great reminder that when you leave, listen, when you get your new spiritual body, you're not going to. Not all of you is going to stay here. You're just passing through this world. Amen. Right. Now, now remember, this is prophecy spoken of in the Old Testament. So let's go there. Uh, Hosea, chapter number eleven. Hosea, chapter number eleven. If you're going from the New Testament to the left, if you get to Daniel, you've gone too far because it goes Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Hosea chapter number 11. And um, there's something that I, w- I want to call your attention to in prophecy. and It's called double application. I'm going to write this up here in hopes that those of you that are taking notes will, d- will write this down and uh, remember it. Double application. You say, what does that mean? What that means is this is that there are some prophecies all right, that can apply to uh, two people or that can apply to one person in two different periods of time. all right? So you'll find some references of prophecy in the Old Testament where part of it applies to the first coming of Jesus and part of it applies to the second coming. A great example is the one I, I just quoted earlier, Isaiah 53. By his stripes we are healed. All right, well, well, listen, Romans chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, but you know what Romans 8 discusses? Romans 8 discusses that right now creation itself is under the curse. And we all, including humans, we all, with creation, we groan in pain together until now. Talking about, listen, we are waiting for the coming of that liberation, that that freedom from the curse, and that doesn't come Until, what the the Bible says in Romans 8, the glorious liberty of the children of God, when you get a new body and we come back with Jesus for a thousand years to reign on the earth. Until then, the curse is in place right now, just like it was in Genesis chapter number 3. And so because of that, it says by his stripes we are healed. Spiritually, right now. Physically, then. Spiritually now, physically then, double application. If you don't rightly divide your Bible and you try to teach people that because Jesus died on the cross that all sicknesses are gone, if you just have enough faith, you know what you end up doing? You end up making a liar out of God. Um, And I can give you more than one example, but I think one of the greatest things that I can think of is the story of the blind man in John chapter number 9 where the disciples literally say, which did sin, this man or his parents? Because the man was born blind. They automatically attributed, uh, attributed sickness with sin. Now look, you can be sick because of sin. If you drink like a fish and your liver goes out and you go, God, why? And the Lord's like, well, you, you know, you trashed your liver, right? Uh, or, or not, not I got, we have mixed company. If you are not uh, a chaste individual, I shall put it forth like that. All right, and you uh, suffer from certain kinds of diseases. Everybody with me right now? All right, you can't blame God for that. It's because of the lifestyle that you had, all right? And, and so you, you understand that, yes, sometimes sickness is attributed to sin, but sometimes it has nothing to do with sin at all. And and as a believer, just because you experience trials or sickness uh, doesn't mean it's always because of sin. So Isaiah 53, there's double application there. Part of it's spiritual, in the in the end it'll be spiritual and physical. Does that does that make sense so far? All right. So look at Hosea chapter 11. And and notice what it said in Hosea chapter 11 verse number 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Now there's two things I want to point out to you. Number 1, all right? It says Israel and it and it says he loved his son. And then it says he called them out of Egypt. The first thing is this uh, you can absolutely make the case that when Hosea is giving prophecy, he is speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I don't know that the prophets always always understood everything that they were saying. All right? Uh, That's why the Bible says that there are mysteries hidden from the foundation of the world that they could not see. So I believe this. I believe in part Hosea is looking at history, things that have already happened. And he says, God the Father loved his son Israel as his firstborn and brought him out of Egypt. However, that does not take away from the fact that God also loved his son, Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right? Hear ye him. That's what it says in a number of the Gospels. So in light of that, what, what, what Matthew does under inspiration of the Holy Spirit... Hosea and Matthew working in tandem, is Matthew, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Hey, remember what it says over there in Hosea? Yeah, that's talking about Jesus. And so what you have there is you have an example of double application. One historically about Israel, and one prophetically about Jesus. Now, the reason I say historically is this. The nation of Israel was not in bondage to Egypt at the time of Jesus Christ's coming. You understand that? They were under Roman occupation, so it wasn't like, like this is something that, that they're in Egypt and they had to come out again. They, they were in Egypt in the past. But what, what Hosea is doing is looking at the history and then going, okay, but what I don't understand fully that the Lord can see is his son which is to come. Israel was the firstborn son that he brought out of Egypt in the past. Jesus Christ was his first, his only, listen to me very carefully, his only begotten son. Israel might be called the firstborn in the Old Testament, but Jesus is called the firstborn among uh, uh, those, that the first fruits among the resurrection, and he's also called his only begotten son. Why is that? Because no other person on this planet can lay claim to the fact that God was their father physically. Right. That thing which is conceived in Mary is conceived of the Holy Ghost. right? And so no one else can claim that. So what I'm getting at is this. You will find in your Bible more than once uh, this this principle of double application. It might be that part of it refers to uh, a people or a person at one period of time, and that it also applies to that same person or or that group of people at a different period of time. Sometimes it's, I'm talking about you, and I'm also talking about you. Uh, Another great example, when David writes Psalm 22, and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You could make the argument that he was forsaken by men and turned on by his son and persecuted by Saul and all that kind of stuff, and he cries out to God, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And David speaks those words historically. But that is, not the only, that is not the only application of those words because Jesus on the cross speaks those words as well. And the impact there, we understand, is eternal in nature, whereas David's was temporal in history. Is this making sense? So it's double applying. It's applying to two different people at two different times. But this must be, must be noted nonetheless, and that is the fact that it was prophesied that his son would leave Egypt. All right, Look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. Matthew 21. I know I've shared this with you guys a lot before. You've heard this, but I'll never forget. Years ago, I went door-knocking with uh, the guy in our church at the time. His name was Matt, Matt Baca, and, and uh, me and him were door-knocking, and this guy came to the door, and this guy was in college, you know, and so when you're in college, you have all the answers. And you know all things, and wisdom dies with you. And so um, this guy comes to the door, and he's like, well, you know, he's really, honestly, he was really friendly. He was not combative at all. He wasn't a jerk, but he's like, well, the Bible's just, you know, filled with errors. I said, okay. And he said, well, he has contradictions. I said, okay. And, and, and really what it boils down to is he, he'd heard this from a professor and probably watched stuff online about, you know, Bibles filled with errors and contradictions. And I literally handed him my Bible. I said, can you show me one? And you know what he did? I kid you not. I love it. It was of the, I'll never forget for as long I will die with, if God doesn't take all my memory away, and God, if you take everything else away, can I keep this one, please? This guy grabs my Bible and he goes, um, and his buddy was starting to laugh. He's like, dude, what are you doing? He <laughs> said, so I'm trying to find something, man. And he's going, he's, I don't know, it's in here somewhere. I said, yeah, it's in there somewhere, isn't it? Uh, and, and, and you know that that's the world that's all they hear that's all they know uh, but you know what's interesting when you start flipping the pages of this book you need to learn it is like no other book on the planet Amen. look at Matthew chapter number 21 Matthew 21 I heard a preacher not that long ago and I gotta be honest with you I was screaming um, and and it, this was just me being curious about who this person was I heard someone else reference this guy's name and I listened and I after about 10 minutes, I just said, I can't listen anymore. Because it was like, this is literally what the guy said. Well, some scholars think this, and some scholars think this. And some... I'm like, dude, tell the people what God said. Quit telling them what someone else thinks God said. It's in your language. Read the book. <laughs> There's so much in there if you just read it. Uh, look at Matthew 23, so getting fired up. Yeah, I get fired up about that. Because those are God's sheep, and you're, you're malnourishing God's sheep. By giving them conjecture instead of giving them God's word, Uh, look at Matthew twenty-one and uh, verse number four. Matthew twenty-one, verse four. You say, "What's going on?" This is where Jesus rides. Go back. Well, go back to verse two. Saying unto them, "Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied." That's a donkey, by the way. And by the way, in the morning's message, I'm going to use that word often because that's the subject matter. Numbers twenty-two. Please do not like junior high school kids going, <laughs> he said ass. It's because it's a Bible word, it means donkey. But I'm not going to update it in my Bible because our language has devolved. Okay? Everyone knows, if you go historically, this is what it is. And as a matter of fact, in the 1900s, 1800s, when someone was a real jerk, they called him a jackass. You know why? Because some of you are like, yeah, I still do that. What's wrong with that? Uh, be- because a, a donkey, an ass, is a stubborn creature. All right? So here, here's this S, as it says, tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say unto you, ye sh- uh, ought unto you, ye shall say, the Lord hath need of them. And straight, straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Watch it. Here's what he says. Saying, verse 5, tell ye the daughter of Zion. By the way, Zion's the city of the great king. Psalms speaks of this. David talks about the the king, not just himself, but the coming king that would make Zion his fortress, all right? And it says this, tell you the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. And this is what we would oftentimes call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, (laughs) we call it that. I don't know how triumphal it is. He ends up on a cross. Um, I, I, I think in a, in a sense it's triumphal in the sense that, you know, they're shouting Hosanna to him, and, and the, the Jewish leadership goes, hey, tell them to stop. And he goes, if I did, the rocks would cry out. Remember that? That's in this passage. Now, look, if you would, at uh, Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, second to last book in your Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah 9, look, if you would, at verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. By the way, when you look at uh, Zion in the Old Testament, it's spelled with a Z. Then you go to the New Testament, it's spelled with an S. Don't let that weird you out. It's just called transliteration. It's when you go from one language into another and eventually into another. So what what you go from he, in Hebrew it's the, the Z," and then in Greek it was the "s, but it 's the same place. tell you the, it's not a, a misprint, it's not a contradiction. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Watch this: he is just, and having what boy, that's interesting, isn't it? Lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal. Of an ass. Now, what's really interesting is this. Sorry, Lenny, you're in the spitting zone, buddy. Um, but what you've got is you've got salvation. Now, when you think of that word, I know what you're thinking. Uh, you're thinking that, you know, Jesus Christ died to save me from my sin. And you're right for thinking that. Um, but what you'll find out is that there are uh, two ways that that word is used in your Bible. All right? There's whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Then there's Joel chapter 2, somewhere toward the end of the chapter, I think it's verse 32, but don't quote me on that, where it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, remember the word? Nope, delivered. That was mean, wasn't it? I, I set you guys up and, you know, just that was not right. Um, but, but here's what I want you to understand, delivered in the context has a physical application to it someone's going to be delivered at the second coming. Because when Jesus comes on that white horse, he's delivering the people of Israel that call on him for salvation, physical deliverance. All right, And eventually they'll get their spiritual deliverance when they meet him face to face, and we know the rest of that story, Romans 11 and all that. All right, But, but over here, it's whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This one's national. This one's individual. All right, This one has to do with the nation repenting. This one has to do with an individual repenting towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why am I I pointing this out? Because really what you have in Matthew 21 is a picture of what's eventually going to happen when he comes back in that second coming. He's going to make his way, uh, and he's going to come through that eastern wall into Jerusalem, and he's going to take his place on that throne. Question, in Matthew 21, does he end up on a throne in Jerusalem? No. He ends up on a cross, Right. right? Now, what a great reminder. You want your throne? You don't get a throne without a cross first. All right? Now, now that's a great example from our Savior. He's our example of how we live. But, but I want you to understand this. Here in, in Zechariah 9, nine, it talks about him coming with salvation, having salvation. Which kind? Both. One refers to his first coming and one refers to his second coming. But can I but it, it, it don't want to get you too lost in the weeds. Just notice this. That is the verse that is quoted in Matthew 21. So there was prophecy about his birth. There's prophecy about the name he'd be given. There's prophecy about his miracles and his healing being sent by the Father. How he would go into Jerusalem uh, in Matthew 21, being forsaken by his disciples. Go to Zechariah chapter 13, a little bit to the right there. Zechariah 13, verse 6. And one shall say to him, "What are these wounds in thine hands?" And he shall answer, "Those which with uh, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends, his disciples." Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. That's how the Roman soldiers came with the Jewish leadership with swords. And against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd. Now, there's a great principle of leadership here, and it's this. If you can get to the leader, you can get to everybody else. All right. Now, now, now that, that's, that's a, a great nugget there, but keep following the thought here. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be what? All right, now go to Matthew chapter uh, 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Look, if you would down toward the end of that chapter, look at verse 54. But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? All right, and this is the Lord telling Peter to put up his sword and he tells him in verse 53, I could call 12 legions of angels and wipe out the entire earth. I don't need your help. Okay. Uh, great reminder, God doesn't need our help when it comes to dealing with his enemies. He'll take care of that on his own. All right. Uh, look at verse number 55, though. In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, are you come out as against a thief with what? There's that sword mentioned in, in Zechariah. I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples did what? Forsook him and fled. You you say what? Smite the, the shepherd, and the sheep shall be what? Scattered. All right? So these are things that you cannot ignore. You cannot just go, well, that's just a coincidence, over and over and over and over and over in the life and testimony of Jesus Christ. And so it's important to understand, he is the fulfillment Uh, of the law and the prophets. We'll go on to this next slide. Uh, Go back to John chapter number one. Actually, no, don't do that. Go to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. You're in Matthew. Go to Matthew seven. I want to go through some verses that talk about the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets, and kind of show you the context of these uh, verses, because this is how you learn your Bible. When you see that it says, uh, we, 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 fa- we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did right. And you find this consistent law and prophets, law and prophets. Law and- now look, I, I don't want to l- neglect to mention there's a third category in the Old Testament, and it, in, it's mentioned in Luke, uh, when Jesus shows up to those two guys on the road to Emmaus, uh, it talks about the law, the prophets, and the writings, which would be the, the poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, all that stuff. But, but generally, you're going to see in the, o- the New Testament, it talks about the, the Old Testament. It says the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets, the law and the... Over and over and over. And you've got to go, well, why is that? Uh, what, what is the big deal about showing that over and over? I hope to make sense of this as to why that is. in a moment. Look at Matthew 7 and verse number uh, 11. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would do that that ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know that we call that the golden rule. And he says the law and the prophets can be summarized in that statement. Go if you would to uh, Matthew chapter twenty-two. Matthew chapter twenty-two. The law and the prophets. You're going to see on the board over here, I've got the law and the prophets. And underneath the, 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 the words, law and prophets, I've got two people's names there as well. And we'll go through that in a moment. But look at Matthew chapter uh, 22. Matthew 22. And look, if you would, at verse number uh, 38. This is the first and great commandment. What's the first and great commandment? Love God above everything else. That's it. Uh, look at the second one, verse 39. Uh, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, here's, here's the problem with modern Christianity. They put the second ahead of the first. So, so in other words, if your neighbor is living, you know, a wicked, wicked life, you can't talk, you, you know, don't mention anything about sin. Don't, do, you know, no, don't preach about sin because then you, you're not loving your neighbor. That's kind of the modern twist on that. And let me just say this. If you love someone, you'll tell them the truth. You'll speak the truth in love. You don't have to be ugly or mean about it, but you speak the truth nonetheless. And and and, and so what you what you have today in Christianity is you got everyone's about loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor, loving. And we need to. I'm not saying we don't. We don't. But the order is off. When you put people ahead of God, you make a mess of things. And the modern church has absolutely done that to the point where if you preach on sin, it's like, well, I don't know if you have to mention that. It's in the Bible, isn't it? Uh, look look at what happens though look what happens in verse 40 on these two commandments hang all the what the law and the prophets all right so he tells you look the what you find in the law think about all the commandments in the law all of them they're one of two directions they're horizontal or they're, they're 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 excuse me I went horizontal that's bad they're vertical or they're horizontal all right meaning this they are either directed toward god right Uh, keep the Sabbath that's not a horizontal one that's a that's a God one right Uh, that's not use the name of the Lord thy God in vain you know that's a that's a vertical one it's not horizontal then there's thou shalt not kill that's horizontal you understand Uh, that's not bear false witness you're hurting people by lying about them you know the the, so so what you see is there's in 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 the law itself you're either going in, in something that's against God or against man And and so God lays out for you, hey, the first and great commandment is love me. Because if you can do that, look, when David threw Uriah out to to dry and threw him out in the heat of the battle to get the man killed to cover up for his sin, you know what David was not doing? He was not loving God. If he was loving God in that moment of his life, he would not have even had that thought or entertained that thought to do something against his fellow man. It starts with this first. When you've got problems with people, you need to step back and go, how come I'm not where I'm at? I, I should be with the Lord? Amen. Oftentimes, you got problems with other Christians. You think it's everybody else. And after a while, when you go, oh, this person and this person, after a while, you got to go, maybe it's me. <laughs> and maybe the real issue is things aren't right between me and the Lord. And so everything that everyone says and does aggravates me to, high haven't ever been there before. You walk into church, how you doing, brother? What do you mean by that? <laughs> I meant, how you doing, brother? That's all I meant. But but it doesn't take much when you're not where you ought to be with the Lord to get you in the wrong direction, am I right? And so, so they're either, the, the, the commandments are vertical or they're horizontal. That's why he says these two things, on these two things, loving God and loving others, that is, that's where all the, the law and the prophets can be summarized in that thought. What an amazing testimony. What, and I think this, if I were to go into next year with our church and say, man, any, any great... A vision I could give you. You know what I'd say? Love God and love people. Amen. And love God when He doesn't make sense to you, and love people because they ain't ever going to make sense to you. All right? Because you're not living in their life, right? So love God and love others. But He says this in verse number 40 on these two commandments hang, think of Him like a picture. You got the law and the prophets. You know the nail? All right? You put that nail in on these two commandments. Uh, these two commandments saying all the law and the prophets. You can take everything in those, those, the Old Testament scriptures, and God goes, here's what I want you to get out of all of that. Love me, love them. That's pretty deep. But he mentions the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Look at Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. You know when when you feel like you're not being loved by people the right way, and that's going to happen. You, you need to step back and say, "But I'm loved by God." Because what 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 will happen when you when you're looking to people first instead of God to satisfy that need, is you are going to eventually become disenfranchised with them, and in the end, bitter with them. And then you'll go, well, you don't know what they did. No, I, I don't know what they did. And sometimes Christians do bad, terrible things other Christians. I, I know that. I know that firsthand. People will gossip, and they'll slander, and they'll hurt, and they'll ignore, and they'll, they, you know what? And the reality is we're all a mess in our own way. That's the reality, all right? But, but if you got your eyes on people first instead of God, it's always going to get messed up. So he says, love God first, love others next. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Let's stop right now. Inventory. How are you doing with those two? Yeah, but preacher, you don't know how much Bible I'm learning. Oh, that's great. Do you love God and can you love them? Uh, I've learned this a long time ago. There's some people that have great intellect and they can acquire a lot of information and, and they do that with the Bible as well. And I'm thankful for that. And if you can do that, and, and love God and love others, that'll be a blessing because God will use that in your life. But I'll also say this. You can acquire a lot of knowledge and just be a bitter old pill. And I've met a lot of Christians that way. Love God and love others. Look at Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, look if you would at verse number 16. The law and the prophets were until John. You know what he's trying to tell you? This is another way of saying the Old Testament. The Old Testament was until John. Now, it's not that the Old Testament ends with John the Baptist, but the Old Testament prophets end with John the Baptist. In other words, after John the Baptist, who shows up? Who's the next major prophet? Jesus himself, the Messiah. So what he's telling you is this. He's saying, look, uh, uh, the the law and the prophets were until John, because after John comes the bringer of the, uh, the bringer. I don't know if that's a word or not. We're going to add it to the vocabulary right now, the bringer of the New Testament, of the New Covenant, the mediator. How about that? That's a Bible word. Let's go with that one. That's a good one. The mediator of the New New Testament, the New Covenant. So again, when you see law prophets, law prophets, it's, it's the Lord's way of saying the Old Testament is going to be fulfilled by something that's coming, all right? So I think the Lord may be calling somebody, all right? Anyone? Check that. Uh, I I joke about that. One of these days I'm going to say that and someone's going to fall over in the pew and go, it was real this time. Uh, uh, Look look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. (laughs) Other things you should never say from the pulpit. (laughs) Uh, Acts 13. Look, if you would, (laughs) at verse number 15. So, when they read the Old Testament... Think about this. After Jesus goes up to heaven, how many New Testament books are written? None are written. When he goes right back up, nothing's been written about his life yet. This happens after the fact. You know, people have this idea that, like, Matthew's walking around with, like, a tablet. And, you know. right. <laughs> not really. That's not what's going on. It was after, which is why it was divinely inspired. And so after the fact and I don't want to go into why that, that is the case, but it's absolutely the case, because you can read several times where they write about it in past tense, like, "This is what I saw, right? John is really good about that. And, and so uh, because of that, what you have to get a hold of is this: they didn't have any New Testament books yet. So when the church got together, what did they read? Until Paul writes his letters, you know what they're reading? They're in the Old Testament. And so they're reading Old Testament going, oh, there's Jesus. Oh, there he is again. Oh, there he is again. Oh, look at that. that? That's what they're doing as they read the Old Testament. They're finding Jesus in the Old Testament. So when they open the, 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 the word of God, all right, and they're going to temple, going to, to meet with, with the, the God's people. Look, if you go to Acts 13 and verse number 15, they go to synagogue. After the reading of the law and the what? All right, there you go. So so basically, after they did that, then the Christians that were there stood up and they preached Jesus. And and so where did they preach Jesus from? The Old Testament. That was all that they had. All right. Uh, Look, if you would, at Romans chapter number three. Romans chapter number three. Romans chapter three. Verse number twenty-one. Romans 3, this is now Paul. So we're seeing this over and over in the Gospels, but now let's see it from Paul, all right? Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God, that's actually found in a person named Jesus, without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the what? The law law and the prophets over and over and over. Now I gotta get done with this slide before we finish for the day, so bear with me. We're gonna fly real quickly here. Uh, Look, if you would, at Matthew chapter number 17. Matthew 17, When Jesus is there on the Mount of Transfiguration, He takes Peter and James and John into a high mountain apart to pray. Look at verse number 1. After six days, in another place, it says about eight days. So after six and about eight, what would that be? Seven. All right, so that's a week right there. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, His brother, and brought them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. You say, what is that? That is the same description that Daniel gives about the ancient of days. It's the same description that John gives about Jesus Christ coming back in the second coming of Revelation 19. So what you're seeing here is a precursor to what's going to happen when Jesus comes back to the earth to set up his kingdom. And Peter and James and John got to see a little bit of that. And I want you to see who shows up with the Lord in verse number 4. Verse 3, rather, verse 3. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and who? And they're not talking to the disciples, by the way. <laughs> they're like, hey, guys, what do you think about us? <laughs> they're talking to Jesus like, man, is this it? Are we coming? Is it time? Well, what's going on? Talk to me. Tell me, tell me what's going on. And, and, and they're having a conversation in between themselves Say, why Moses and Elijah? Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Uh, Look if you would at uh, Revelation chapter number eleven. Revelation. People argue all the time. Who are these two witnesses mentioned in Revelation eleven? There's no doubt who it is. It's clear from Scripture. Look at Revelation chapter eleven, and look what it says here in Revelation chapter. That's why I love going verse by verse of the Bible. You get so much out of it, (laughs) or you can anyways. Revelation chapter eleven, and uh, look if you would at verse number. Uh, three, and I will give power unto my two witnesses. Doesn't say who they are right here, but watch. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing. Now, write that, underline that, standing before the God of the earth. When Jesus Christ is there at the man of transfiguration, you know what he's doing? He's standing. Who's standing with him? Moses and Elijah. And the disciples are watching that. Now now if, if, if that was all I had, I know that'd be kind of lame, but, but keep reading. Look if you would at verse number five. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. You know who called fire down from heaven and destroyed the enemies? It was Elijah. All right. All right. And devoured their enemies, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven. That's what Elijah did in the, in the days of his prophecy. And have power over waters to turn them into blood. That was what Moses did at Pharaoh, with Pharaoh. And to smite the earth with all the plagues. That was Egypt, once again, as often as they will. Now, there's a whole lot more said about them. But go to Zechariah chapter number 4. Zechariah chapter 4. There's no doubt who these people are. It's Moses and Elijah. That's why you don't know where Moses' body is buried. And that's why Elijah's taken up. Now, if you will say, Well, I think it might be Enoch. Well, Enoch was taken up, but Enoch never he didn't represent the prophecy to the extent that Elijah does. And Enoch doesn't call fire down from heaven to, to do anything. And Enoch doesn't close heaven that it does not rain in the days of his prophecy. So it's pretty clear who this is talking about. It's Moses and Elijah. Look at Zechariah. Hopefully I'm not losing you guys. Some of you kinda of at me like I don't know where we're at right now. Uh, Zechariah chapter four, look if you would at verse Number three, and two olive trees by it, talking about the lamps, back in verse 2, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. Remember in Matthew, one guy's on one side of Jesus and the other one's on the other side of him? Right. All right, so I answered and spake, the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And then the angel that talked with me answered and said, "Knowest not thou uh, what these be? And I said, No, Lord. That's why I'm asking the question, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and, and he goes on to talk about, uh, go back down to verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two, he's like, he's not answering me. Answer the question. <laughs> what be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered and said, Don't, knowest, thou now, uh, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, Watch it. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord the whole earth. So, and in Matthew 5, you know what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 17? I came not to destroy the law, but that the law through me might be fulfilled. So, so, Jesus Christ, think of it this way. He's at the center on the Mount of Transfiguration. you got Moses on one side, the law. Elijah on the other side, you have the prophets. Why? Because they both point to that one person. Why? He is the fulfill. He didn't come to break it. He came to fulfill it. And so what I want you to understand is this, when when Philip says, it may just seem like a casual conversation, we found him in whom Moses and the law and the prophets did right. That's not just an innocent, small, pass by statement. That's a big deal. Because what he's saying is this, the person that fulfills everything we heard from this guy and from this guy and from the law and from the prophets, it's him. (laughs) He is the real deal. Can I say this? There's no one that has impacted history like Jesus that's ever lived. Never. And you'll never find that. You know, the Bible says if you were to write all the books in the world that that record, if all the books recorded everything that he did and all that we saw and all that we experienced, the volume of the books, the world could not contain the volume of the books that would be written. I I, I like that statement. Uh, You know what's funny is you go by the grocery store aisle and you'll see Time Life magazine, at least three times a year, new discoveries about Jesus. And it's like, dude, you guys, you don't believe in him, but you can't stop talking about him. It's like you know, it's it's almost like uh, when they go, "This is better than Coke." You know why you're saying it's better than Coke? Because that's the real one. Now, if you Pepsi people in here can just bear with me for a moment, all right? What what I'm trying to say is that that's the slogan, Coke, the real thing. Like there's there's some history that points that they're the ones we've got to beat. It's like when the new modern Bibles go, it's much easier to understand than the King James Bible. Been like 200 Bibles printed in the last so many years. Why don't you say it's easier than the ESV or the ASV? You always go back to the real thing. Listen, the law and the prophets point to the real thing. They point to the fulfillment, and the fulfillment is a person. He's the righteousness of God. His name is Jesus Christ, and I pray that you're walking with Him today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's all stand and ask for God's blessing what we learn. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to dig a little bit. And uh, thank you for the great spirit that's in this place, Lord, and just some people that want to learn your words, and I pray that you'd bless them and would help them to do just that. I pray that this book would become alive to them. Lord, some of them got here fighting sickness over the last couple weeks, or some of them have some real deep emotional scars dealing with some things in their lives. And I don't know what they all are, but you do. And Lord, I pray you that you would minister to them. And Lord, I pray that they would walk away today, Lord, with a desire to just be closer to you, to know you, to love you, and to love those that you've called them to love. Lord, we ask your help and your blessing in the next hour as well. In Jesus' name, amen.